0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Well, thank you very much, Stephanie. I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Stress Management for Caregivers, Practical Tips to Cope. Now, this is a very important program that we're offering. It's one that uh, caregivers have asked us to do over and over again, and we're really delighted to be able to offer you this program. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now we have on the call today over 578 participants, and you come from all over the United States, from all different regions and areas of the country, and we also have international participants from Canada, India, Pakistan, and the United Kingdom, so you really come from all over the world. Uh, And I would like for a moment to turn your attention to all the materials you received from Cancer Care. In those materials is information about our speakers, the topics they'll be covering. Um, There also is information about all of the different uh, collaborating organizations as resources for all of you. And there is an evaluation form, and we'd ask you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the programs and topics you'd like us to offer? Indeed, today's topic is one that, hands down, many of you have said, please offer more programs on caregiving. And so we have this program today, and um, we hope to have many others as well. So tell us what you want, and we'll be sure to try to offer it. Now, today's program is supported by Borenger-Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals, Inc., and I really want to thank them for supporting this program and the entire initiative around caregiving. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Laurel Northhouse. Dr. Northhouse is is well known to us on our program. She is Mary Lou Willard, French Professor of Nursing, University of Michigan School of Nursing. She frequently presents on caregiving, and she's going to address who is a caregiver, so you all know who that is, taking on the role of the caregiver, and caregiving and stress. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr.
2: Northhouse. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, for your introduction and, really, for the opportunity to participate in this workshop today. I've enjoyed these workshops over the years as well. So let's start with talking about the definition of caregiving. So just so we all have the same definition, um, a caregiver is anyone who provides emotional or physical care, or both, to a person with cancer. But the key point is that person is not paid for the care that they provide. I actually like the term family caregiver. The word family is broadly defined to include relatives, friends, and even neighbors. And the caregiver. I, the, the point of this definition is that the caregiver does not need to be a blood relative. It's really whoever the survivor says is their caregiver. And my guess is that on the call today, most of you are primary caregivers, which is another term that we use. And the primary caregiver is the the person who is most involved in providing care to the cancer survivor. However, some of you may also be secondary caregivers, another term that's out there. And those are people who provide backup support to the main caregiver or who play another important role in helping the survivor, but on an as-needed basis. According to national surveys, about two-thirds of the time, the primary caregiver is the spouse or partner of the person with cancer. And the national surveys also indicate that the majority of caregivers are women. But as we know, the number of male caregivers uh, is increasing fairly rapidly. So with those definitions and general descriptions of caregivers in mind, I want to shift to briefly discuss the process of becoming a caregiver of a person with cancer. Some of you may have become a caregiver gradually. Your loved ones may have developed symptoms slowly, let's say over several months. Um, They may have needed various tests and x-rays before the cancer was finally diagnosed. Others of you may have become a caregiver more suddenly, your loved one may have had a regular uh, physical or checkup, and during that checkup, an unusual lump or thickening was found. And then several days later, it may have been biopsied and the cancer diagnosed. So think a minute about your own situation. Some of you may have been in the middle of an important project at the time of diagnosis or helping young children get ready for school, or, or maybe some of you are actually multiple caregivers and you're um, also taking care of an elderly parent. But whether you became a caregiver gradually or more suddenly, the one thing that most caregivers have in common is that the cancer diagnosis brings an unexpected change in their lives. And as a result, caregivers seldom have the chance to get their own lives in order prior to becoming a caregiver. And it's this unexpected nature of cancer and the uncertainty that it creates that often causes stress in the lives of caregivers. Another aspect of caregiving that can create stress is that caregivers often feel unprepared to provide the care that is expected of them when they become caregivers. Caregivers are often expected to provide complex care with little preparation or support. And as many of you know currently, Uh, People with cancer are leaving the hospital sicker and sooner than ever before, and as a result, many people return home to the care of you all, or family members, with tubes, drains, dressings, and even some IV infusions. And because of the ongoing nature of the illness and the worries about recurrence, caregivers often have to continue to provide care, at least emotional care, for an extended period of time. Because caregiving can generate stress, I want to briefly describe some of the ways that uh, caregivers may experience this distress. And generally, there seems to be two ways, emotionally and physically. So some of the emotional effects of stress are increased worry and anxiety, a lack of control over the lives, and sometimes even feelings of helplessness. Some studies report that caregivers have as much anxiety as patients. And even though caregivers don't have cancer, um, they themselves, they're affected by the, the survivor's cancer. We know that uh, the stress can also cause mental fatigue in caregivers because of the many things that they're trying to balance in their lives. Um, it, symptoms of mental fatigue include difficulty concentrating at work or at home, forgetting what you're doing, I don't know if that relates to any of you out there, and also feeling irritable, that just like, ugh, things get you down, you're frustrated. And as the stress builds up, some caregivers may even have symptoms of depression, which can interfere with their ability to carry out uh, day-to-day activities. There are also physical effects of stress. And the most common physical effects are fatigue and difficulty sleeping, which some studies say are reported by about 60% of the caregivers of uh, people with cancer. Caregivers often feel very frustrated by these physical effects because it's hard for them to function at a really fast pace or meet many of the demands that they are expected to meet when they also feel tired and worn out. There's also some research that says that the stress that um, caregivers experience can affect their immune system and make them more prone to get infection or to develop other health problems. But the main reason for mentioning the physical and emotional effects that stress can have on caregivers is to reinforce that it's important for caregivers to take care of themselves as well as the patient or their survivor. We know from the research that caregivers often neglect their own health and regular medical checkups as they focus all of their attention on the patient. But in order for caregivers to continue their important role, they need to give themselves permission to take time to care for themselves. Um, Our speakers, I know, will be talking a little bit more about self-care strategies and resources that are available to you. But um, let me just summarize by saying that caregivers play an important role in helping their loved ones with cancer, but caregivers face many demands that can create stress in their own lives. And if you are feeling stress as a caregiver, I just want you to remember it's normal. It's not a sign that you are coping poorly. However, you need to be aware of your own stress and try to get help and support, the help and support that you need so that you can maintain that really important role of uh, as caregiver, which all of you are doing, but without putting your own health at risk. So let me turn it back to you, Dr. Messner. Well, thank you so much,
1: um, Dr. Northhouse, for an outstanding presentation. Really excellent. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I know you really have set the context for our program today, and um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next uh, speaker is uh, Dr. Alupe, Dr. Guadalupe Palos, Dr. Palos is Clinical Research Manager at the University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship. And Dr. Palos is going to address coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions, and long-distance caregiving. It's my pleasure now to turn the program back to Dr. Palos.
3: Thank you, Carolyn, and good afternoon to all of you who are joining us on this call. Today we have an entire panel focusing on a topic that is significantly important but is often overlooked by providers, patients, and even the caregivers themselves. Discussions about mental wellness and stress is at times very uncomfortable for many caregivers and their families. Yet Dr. Northhouse provided strong evidence that caregivers do experience various types of emotional and physical stress. And as we all know, stress and special occasions, such as graduations, birthdays, anniversaries, and holidays, affect and involve the entire family under just normal circumstances. And normal in this call means those uh, folks that are not dealing with the cancer experience. Now, many of you on this call may have just dealt with some of this type of stress, say with a loved one's graduation, or he may be dealing with the stress right now as you try to make special plans for the 4th of July. Stress is not the only emotion associated with special times, we often associate special memories or certain traditions with our holidays and our special events, and some of these may not be feasible when you're dealing with the cancer experience. So I suspect that a few of you may be wondering, can we as a family have good celebrations when we are dealing with hospital visits and treatments and side effects and the other realities associated with cancer? Well, my response to that question is yes. Families can celebrate very special occasions even during stressful times. Rather than mourn or grieve the loss of, of traditions you may have had in the past, now is the time to be creative, flexible, and open to adapting old traditions or discovering new traditions. There is no doubt that being a caregiver is both challenging and rewarding. Oftentimes, there may be feelings of frustration or guilt, like I'm not doing enough, or perhaps there's uncertainty about financial issues or about the care you're trying to provide to your loved ones. All of these factors, again, contribute to the stress in the caregiver. In addition to these fluctuations and feelings, there are also changes in the roles and responsibilities of the caregiver over the course of the cancer experience. So it's not surprising that these changes will have an impact on the emotional and physical health of the caregiver. Later in this discussion, my colleague, Dr. Fleischmann will present tips for self-care and stress management. So now you listeners may realize that, oh, yeah, it is challenging, but it's important for us as caregivers to manage those stressful times. Now, you may be thinking that, but it's, hard to, it's difficult sometimes to actually act, operationalize that care that you, that you know that you need. So in the next few moments, I'm going to identify strategies for being proactive and for planning ahead for those special occasions. And then I'm going to try to share some uh, practical tips for managing your friends and your family and partners during those special times. Let's begin by discussing ways to manage the chaos associated with special times. One helpful strategy is to develop a special occasion preparedness plan. Now, this plan would be similar to a hurricane preparedness plan. It would map out the details of how to prepare for those special events. The plan would also allow the caregiver to make some trade-offs in their roles when trying to care for a loved one during special times, and especially when they're far away from their caregiver. Here are a few tips that may be included in your plan and will help you be proactive and prepared. First, you can determine the geography of the family. Now, what does that mean? That means identify the roles or potential roles that each family member or friend can have and those would be people who wish to be part of the team. If someone is saying to you, let me help, take advantage of that and, and offer and find something that they can do, even if it's something as simple as providing transportation for someone for the loved one once in a while or even walking the dog and petting the cat, simple things like that. Find out who does what and what they're best at. Number two, determine what can be realistically done as a caregiver. If you work and you come home and you care for your loved one that's dealing with cancer and you're also caring for an older parent and you're also caring for children, it is very difficult to do all of those at one time. So create a stable and realistic life for yourself and put balance into it. And again, bring in those friends and those family members who can help you. Stay informed. Maintain close communication with Uh, the patient's providers and the helpers. Schedule a regular time to call and talk to them. And if you can, try to go to those appointments with the patient. This information will help you then in trying to be proactive in your planning of what you need to do, say, for example, a change in the prescription, a change in the procedure that you may need to do at home, things of that nature. Set up a safety net, and by a safety net, I mean something like identify your neighbors and your friends or other relatives that can help you monitor your loved one's condition. As one caregiver advice, let them be your eyes and your ears. Number five, always have ready-to-go bags packed. And by ready-to-go bags, I mean, you know, a bag that can have your medical supplies that are sometimes needed, extra clothing, copies of important documents such as copies of your prescriptions, of the patient's prescriptions, and the caregiver's prescriptions, contact numbers of of healthcare providers, and members of the family team. Now, trying to pack for a vacation or a travel is chaotic enough without having to worry about items needed to provide the continuity of care for your loved one. These ready-to-go packs are needed for both the patient and the caregiver for it seems that the caregiver is always prepared for the patient's needs but often forgets about their own needs. Keep a logbook where you can record, you know, notes about conversations with other caregivers, providers, and maybe even your insurers so you can keep track of who you spoke to, when and what the outcome was. Again, that keeps uh, you informed and keeps you up to date on information. Keep helpful numbers handy. Make a list of everyone who is involved in the care of your loved one. And don't just put that list up on the shelf or the refrigerator. Give that list to as many different people on the team as you can. And always keep copies for yourself nearby. And for those of you who are long-distance caregivers, here's a few extra tips. Book regular trips to your loved ones ahead of time. Try to keep ahead on finding out when the um, airlines are having specials uh, for you to travel home. And when you get there, Do your own assessment on the following areas when you get to the home of your loved one. Look at the personal hygiene of your loved one. Look at the level of activity and mobility. Look at their nutritional needs. Are there groceries in the pantry and the refrigerator? Look at the condition of the home. Is it clear and well organized? Look at the safety needs. Are there falling hazards, smoke detectors, secure locks? Does a trusted neighbor have a key to the house? Again, these things seem like they're small things, but if you keep them in mind and you log them somewhere, it will give you peace of mind later. And then just to conclude by sharing a few extra practical tips for keeping memories of your special events. If you're a long-distance caregiver, One way to help ease your worry is to set up a web camera so you can actually see your loved one and talk to them. You can use Skype, smartphones, and there's other methods that can keep you in touch with a loved one across the miles. Remember, regular communication may give you peace of mind. You can also prepare your own video clips of past holidays or of new holidays. These clips provide a snapshot of memories for the past, and you can share them with your loved ones. Create new traditions. Even if you cannot be there in person, save a long-distance caregiver, some of those other activities that you come up with may become new traditions for you and your loved ones, even by viewing the videos. Finally and most important, keep tabs on your own physical and mental health. And when needed, seek professional help from services, such as those that will be discussed by, my, by Ms. Rubin later in this session. Remind yourself as a caregiver, and the person you are caring for will reap the benefits of a healthy caregiver, even if it may be across the freeways, the mountains, and the oceans. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and the suggestions you may have for caregivers and those they care for. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Palos, for just a wonderful presentation and so much information about long-distance caregiving and also that go-to bag and really taking care of oneself. So really very helpful. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is founding director, Cancer Supportive Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, Beth Israel, and St. Luke's Roosevelt. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address caring for the person with cancer, your concerns as a caregiver, and self-care and stress management tips. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Fleischman.
4: Hi. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and hello, everybody. Um, I um, have found over the years and being a part of the lives of many patients and families who are uh, getting diagnosed with cancer and going through cancer treatment that um, people are asked to do things that they've never expected to do and most of the time never thought they were able to do, and they come through with flying colors. Uh, That expression in American English, it's it's not a marathon, it's a sprint. Um, really is a thing that I I think is very applicable to this situation because often now, especially since, as was mentioned before, treatment is uh, home-based and ambulatory rather than uh, all in the hospital, Uh, this can extend over weeks and months and um, having caregivers who can hang in for that long really means that they have to conserve their energy and be careful not to overdo the first few weeks because it makes it harder to finish after um, you're pooped. Uh, You need to be able to stick in for the long haul. So what I've noticed is that uh, people become the ultimate multitaskers um, and take on roles that they've never had expected before, and very detail-oriented roles. Um, from a scheduler, as many think, so many things are ambulatory now, to a transporter, to a scribe, where they really need to be in the, in the room, in the consultation room, writing down the information, keeping track of the questions, keeping track of the details. That's a tall order. Um, and what families have told me uh, over my career is that, that that just seems to be the beginning. Um, good caregivers and involved caregivers sometimes find that they become all experts in benefits often to more, more um, involved and more knowledgeable about their benefit the benefits of their loved one than the benefits manager at the place of employment, really knowing the exact clauses in the insurance, understanding the exact ways that the pharmacy benefit can be maximized, or being able to piece together treatment uh, these days as more and more people don't have medical insurance. Um, Just getting the insurance cards together, if you do have insurance, and and knowing who to call, and knowing how to get uh, referrals and authorizations and things like that can be quite daunting for someone who's never done it before. Um, The other thing uh, I see caregivers doing is writing a lot down and collecting a lot of information um, and asking a lot of questions. Uh, partly, I guess, out of, um, because we're asking many people to do things that were formerly done by medical personnel and nurses and nurses' aides and people who were trained, and, and partly out of fear that they'll do the wrong thing. Uh, but asking a lot of questions and sometimes needing repetition, and I think uh, most people who are treating cancer these days understand that these things, uh, the responses have to be repeated um, quite a, many, many times. I've seen uh, families take on the role of of chef because suddenly somebody needs lots of meals made, uh, usually a certain way and there may be some food restrictions or uh, more enlightened patients and families really um, get the idea that the uh, type of foods that we can eat during treatment needs to be changed and needs to be a lot healthier than people may have eaten before. I've seen uh, caregivers become personal trainers. Um, walking somebody around in the hospital right after surgery and then continuing when they get home to make sure that the patient doesn't sit all the time and uh, develop breathing problems or even the possibility of of blood clots. Um, So chef and personal trainer are the kinds of um, job descriptions that many people didn't think of themselves having, but it uh, actually does develop um, as the treatment goes on and certainly a friend and a confidant, and um, it's hard. It's very hard to watch and experience all this with someone that you love. Um, You feel basically powerless at times because you'd like to take the whole thing away. You'd like to make it all better, and that's hard to do. It's hard even for the combined team to do, but it's certainly hard for one individual to do. Um, the, um, The burden of... Uh, Being there all the time is something that caregivers do speak about, usually after the fact, but during the time they just need to sort of be an autopilot and um, go through the process and make sure that nothing goes wrong. Um, I've seen that this is the time where people need to really call in a lot of favors. and uh, Most of us have gone through our lives and done favors for other people, and many of us don't like to ask for favors in return. This is the time to pull them in, as you heard before. Even things that seem somewhat simple and mundane, because it re- reduces your to-do list and takes a lot of things off your plate. Um, as uh, our ex. Uh, our ex uh, first lady said uh, it does take a village and uh, we find that that village grows greater and greater and friends and church members and and, uh, people generally are um, willing to step up to the plate when uh, someone's going through treatment because everybody knows how hard this is on an individual and an individual family Um, many of us uh, when we go through uh, cancer treatment with a loved one um, see our, our loved ones suffering and studies have shown that caregivers often overestimate the amount of suffering. Um, cancer professionals sometimes underestimate, but family members sometimes overestimate. So it's uh, just that, that's something to keep in mind because we feel so powerless in, in helping someone we love so much. So the kinds of things people often talk about afterwards and reveal uh, that their self-doubts, am I doing things the right way? Um, I'm not sure if I can keep going on like this. How long do I have to keep this pace up? Um, it, it just feels so powerless, some people uh, tell us, after the fact. Um, they question themselves. The second guess, did we seek the right treatment plan? Are we being treated in the right place? Did we see the right doctor? Uh, they always hear stories about somebody saying that they know somebody else um, who's who's been treated by another doctor, and things are totally different, and sometimes that information is correct, and sometimes it lacks a lot of the important detail and doesn't apply to you or your family. So all these concerns uh, sometimes haunt us as we're busy trying to do the right thing. So as has suggested, been suggested before, uh, since this is overwhelming and difficult, although it is counterintuitive, the best thing to do is to make sure that you schedule some time to be off Um, by calling in favors, um, by um, looking to paid caregivers for respite in case you're able to do that. But scheduling some time to do something that is a little bit away and uh, may a good idea to have some physical activity involved because it seems like that's probably one of the best antidotes to feeling overwhelmed. And as the speakers mentioned before, the idea of permission to do that, it's really important to to be able to stay in for the sprints or rather for for the marathon. So um, be really, you know, a little bit selfish, in fact, that you need to be able to stay in for the long haul. So that's what I've seen helpful uh, to patients uh, and families over the course of time. Uh, accepting this multitasking, detail-oriented role is um, difficult, but it's something that many of us do, as, as you heard by surprise, and do well, um, taking all these tips into account. I, I will stop here and turn it back to Dr. Messner.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fleischman. A very um, excellent, again, presentation and, and uh, very helpful in terms of just some um, of the self-care tips. And and um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Chrissy Rubin, and Ms. Rubin is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and she's going to review Cancer Care's free psychosocial services as well as provide an overview of caregiving resources, including My Cancer Circle. Chrissy?
5: Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. I'm honored to be part of this call today and to talk with all of you about our services here at Cancer Care. As an oncology social worker, I work with many caregivers, and I'd like to speak with you about the ways in which we can provide support to those of you who are caring for a loved one with cancer. Today, this workshop has been all about you, the caregiver. So often, it's easy to overlook your own needs as caregivers, and I know this firsthand from having been a caregiver myself. I really want to commend all of you for taking time out of your busy schedules today to participate in this call, because by doing so, you're recognizing the importance of your own self-care, as as Dr. Fleischman was was discussing. Hopefully, you'll all take away some helpful tips, tips to put into place that will help you to reduce your stress and allow you to take better care of yourselves and your loved ones. When you first learned about your loved one's diagnosis, you probably felt extremely overwhelmed, sort of like a deer in the headlights. Cancer care can help in many ways, such as our practical support and financial help. If needed, we can also refer you to other financial assistance resources. Our emotional supportive services are provided in a variety of settings, such as individual telephone counseling, online and telephone support groups, as well as individual face-to-face counseling and face-to-face support groups. in our local New York area offices. We realize that cancer affects the whole person and the entire family. Asking for help by contacting a cancer care social worker for counseling or by joining a support group is a sign of strength. Our counseling services can afford you the time to talk about your individual needs, questions, and concerns. Counseling can help you explore the tools you need in order to cope with your loved one's diagnosis. For many caregivers, talking to a social worker relieves them from the stress of holding in all their feelings and shielding your loved ones from your different struggles that you might be experiencing. Individual counseling and support groups are a safe place where you can talk about these concerns and fears. Making connections can help lessen the isolation that many caregivers experience. Feeling emotionally well can help you better deal with your loved one's diagnosis and these uh, wide range of, of emotions that you're facing. Now just a reminder that all of our services here at Cancer Care are provided completely free of, of charge and we are all licensed oncology social workers here at Cancer Care. You can find out more about our services by calling our Hope Line where you would speak with a licensed oncology social worker and our Hope Line number is one 800 413 Seven, three. And I also want to introduce you to a very valuable and exciting new tool for caregivers called My Cancer Circle. Beringer and Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals and Cancer Care have collaborated to launch My Cancer Circle. This site is powered by lots of helping hands, which offers technical assistance through their member support center to ensure that caregivers and their support network get the most out of their My Cancer Circle experience. So My Cancer Circle is a free, private, customizable tool for caregivers of people facing cancer. It's an online caring community that addresses an existing and long-standing need within the cancer community. My Cancer Circle provides a practical solution to the question, what can I do to help? So often you're asked, how can I help? What can I do? And this is part of a way to answer, help answer that question. So you, you might be wondering how this works. Well, My Cancer Circle helps caregivers organize and coordinate support from their circle of family and friends, with such as assistance with daily tasks, anything from cooking meals to driving to medical appointments, help with child care or household chores. My Cancer Circle provides direct access to our cancer care resources, including our counseling services, support groups, financial assistance, and educational workshops, such as this one. My Cancer Circle helps families and caregivers to focus on their most important role, and that is caring for their loved one with cancer. So we're thrilled to have the opportunity to collaborate on My Cancer Circle and hope that it will truly make a positive impact on the lives of people and caregivers working through their cancer diagnosis. So please visit My Cancer Circle at mycancercircle.net to learn more about My Cancer Circle, and you can create your support community um, for yourselves or, uh, and your family uh, facing cancer. If you have any questions, uh, further questions, that the, the website isn't answering, you can, correct, can contact me directly at rubin C-R-U-B-I-N, at cancercare.org. And at this time, I would like to turn the workshop back over to Carolyn, and I thank you all for the opportunity to speak with you today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Ms. Rubin, for just a wonderful presentation and for addressing both the services of cancer care and my cancer circle as well. Now we do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask um, Stephanie to bring all of our speakers on board. Now, it has been our tradition on the caregiving programs that we're happy to entertain any of your questions, but also we recognize that there's a great deal of expertise that you each bring to these programs. You yourselves are caregivers, and you may have some very helpful tips that you may wish to suggest or offer to those on the call as well. So we want to reach out to everybody on the call and invite you either to ask a question or to give a tip that has, briefly a tip that has worked for you that you think might be helpful to somebody else. Um, So, um, Stephanie, would you please explain to our uh, callers how to go ahead and uh, queue up and uh, we'll take as many uh, tips or uh, questions or comments as possible. Thank you.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question or provide a tip, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, if you have a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. And
1: we do have a question from one of our actually online participants. And their question really has to do with um, their feeling guilt um, about um, about the the um, illness of their loved one, and um, I'm wondering if uh, Chrissy, if you would want to address that.
5: Certainly, Carolyn. Thank you. Um, oftentimes, people do feel very guilty about uh, being able to take time out for themselves and for um, you know being able to to manage their own self care. And as we um, as we try to work with caregivers and uh, you know assure them that it's it's really important for them to take time out for themselves, uh, one of the things that I that I sometimes share with my caregivers, my caregiver clients, is that whenever we, we ride on an airplane, we often are reminded that we should put the oxygen mask on ourselves first before we assist our uh, our neighbors or loved ones. And it's sort of akin to that, that if you don't take care of yourselves, um, then it makes it harder for us to take care of our loved ones. So by focusing on our own self-care and not feeling guilty about taking time out for some even some pleasurable activities, then it will make it harder for us to, uh, to care for our loved ones. So as much as the guilt might play a part, um, often our loved ones want us to go out there and do things for ourselves. So you might be feeling guilty without even having a conversation with your loved one about it. So I would encourage you also to to talk about that those feelings with your loved ones so that you can clear up any anything that you might be uh, feeling and wondering about. So definitely encourage you to work on that a little bit. Okay. Thanks, Carolyn.
1: Thank you so much, and, and Dr. Palos, do you want to add anything? I'm going to ask each other speakers because that's such an important issue and
3: question. Um, thank you. Guilt is, is a very normal reaction um, that we all have, and um, I believe what we need to do is acknowledge that we're going to have that guilt, and then try to find ways that we can go ahead and move forward with what we need to do. For example. Um, I've been a caregiver also, and I have to leave my mom alone sometimes. And I feel guilty about that, especially when I'm going out of town. So what I try to do to make myself feel better is make sure that someone is there with her. I think of different things that, that she can do during the day. I have her favorite books. I have her favorite videos. I have things like that. And that at least you feel like you're doing something, So that and that helps to alleviate some of that guilt. So there's other little ways that you can try to think of to to do that. And if it gets really, really severe for you on the guilt, then that's time to go out and seek someone to help you uh, find some ways to to overcome some of that guilt, and so you can feel comfortable, because you don't want the stress of that also.
1: And uh, Dr. Northouse?
2: Well, I agree with you. That's a really important uh, feeling that many people have, and um, I just want to emphasize to people on the call that taking time for yourself, even if you might feel guilty, is not a luxury. This is you know, Don't consider it a luxury. Consider this a way to keep yourself healthy so that you don't get burned out and you can continue to be the important caregiver that you are. The other thing is that the time away doesn't always need to be really long. Maybe you're going to take time away to do a hobby, um, go out for a lunch, or uh, something along that line. But think maybe think of it in small parts, if that's helpful. And the other is that Sometimes it helps if you set up the time ahead of time. For example, you say on this certain uh, hour of the day or this evening or whenever, that's going to be the time when I go away uh, to do something for myself. And for any of the survivors who may be on the call as well, it really helps if you can give your, the person who's providing care to you permission to leave and, and that you too understand it's important for the caregiver to get away. So those are my main thoughts. Excellent.
1: And um, Dr. Fleischman. Well, uh, I'll take it one
4: step further. I wonder, uh, and people have told me this over the course of time that they feel guilty that they weren't good enough spouses or sons or daughters or brothers and sisters or whatever, and that's why the individual got the cancer. So um, guilt can be um, not a, not not always uh, certainly that that's not a reason why people get cancer, but sometimes children or Beloved family members feel that way, and that often then colors their idea that they can have permission to leave, uh, for at least for a brief period of time, to recharge their
1: batteries. So, okay. This, and you had a whole interdisciplinary um, effort to answer that, um, that issue, and I hope that was helpful to our, our caller
0: with that excellent question and online. And we now have another question. Um, Stephanie?
6: Our next question comes from Elise S. Your line is open. Yes, hi. First of all, I'd like to thank the panel for a very interesting presentation. A special shout out to Chrissy Rubin. Um, My question is not only a question but a comment um, regarding uh, my husband is now 26 months out from the bone marrow transplant, um, and um, it's been over two and a half years since I've been his caregiver, his primary caregiver. And the tips that all these uh, various, I listened to the one on June 19th as well. Uh, provide are for people uh, that have large families. Uh, but if you don't have a large family, uh, those tips cannot be utilized. And you try to seek help elsewhere. And I have found that over the two and a half years that all the various organizations, whether it's Cancer Care or American Cancer Society or the Leukemia Society or whatever it may be, they're all very anxious to help uh, initially when the diagnosis first comes in and give you the support you might need. Uh, But right now, after two-and-a-half years of caregiving, and my husband now has graft-versus-host disease, which has, even though his two-year biopsy uh, has him in remission, and it was a very great report, and we're very grateful for it, uh, the side effects from the transplant are great and difficult to deal with as well. Um, And uh, I find that the various organizations out there will give you help uh, only up to a certain point, and, you know, once you've been a caregiver for as long as I have now been a caregiver for, you don't seem to manner at any, it anymore. Well, you
1: certainly care we certainly matter to us, Elise, and um, why don't we try to address your question, because it's an excellent question, and and I appreciate um, your question on this call today. Um, and um, I'm going to ask if um, if Dr. Palos could address this initially, just because it is that whole issue of being that long long-term caregiver over a long time. It's almost like a, it's a it's, it, it's a long-distance caregiver, but in another way, just going on for such a long period of time.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thank you for. Um... Giving me the opportunity to answer that two things first off you're absolutely right that not everyone has large families but i can't remember which one of our speakers but one of our speakers said that a family is not always like blood relatives but it can be people out in the community and what I have found is if you know sometimes we feel like no one really cares in our neighborhood about what's going on or you know they're coming in and out we wave to them and that's it all I have found if if, if you take a moment and knock on the door and you know, get to know folks, and then say, you know, I don't know if you knew, but my loved one has cancer, and it's kind of hard. And I was wondering if you would mind, you know, keeping an eye on the house, or if you mind giving me your number in case something happens. You know, I can give you a, a call, and you can, you know, check on the house or check on my loved one. And but if something initially like that, then people will say, oh, okay, that's not usually a problem. And then eventually, I what happens is we see that grapevine effect where people kind of start like, getting the word out among the neighbors. And people will start coming and asking for help, so that's one way, even just your neighbors. I know we tend to think that we are going to, we don't want to impose on them or they're strangers and they don't know, but again, I think if people are given an opportunity to share kindness, they'll respond to that. The other thing is it's important to, to again, if you're a long-term caregiver, We've already talked about some of the ways that you need to take care of yourself, but it's important also to just always keep your eyes open for opportunities of one of people that you can find to help you or resources that you can find. The other ones would be um, we found some people that were through a book club. I mean, a friend of a friend of a friend connected us with some folks that wanted to come by and help, and that was a book club. didn't know anyone in that book club, but just by people, you know, talking and then saying, you know, folks need help, that we were able to get someone to come in and at least sit. For a couple of hours and and read books. They read you know out of different books for for, the, for um, my loved ones. So I really believe that there are other ways that we can find our um, care our people to help our caregivers. It doesn't always have to be a family member. And then the second issue that came up about how some of these organizations don't care that is your perception, and your perception is very important, it's a reality for you. So I don't want to dismiss it that say, oh, no, that's not true, because it might in fact be true. It may have been that you called one day when they were very, very busy, and, and that's that's the perception that you got, that they were too busy to help you. But one of the things to remember is that you just keep trying, and don't give up easily. And if you've been a long-term caregiver, and I can hear it in your voice, you sound like you're pretty tenacious, and, and that you're persistent with what you need to do. But Remember also that if you know if one organization doesn't help, don't just think about the ones that have the word cancer in them. Think about some of the others that are out there that may also provide help through the religious organizations and um, some of the other groups like that. So those are some of my thoughts, and I'd be interested in hearing what my colleagues may have to say to that.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Palos. And I think, Elise, you raised really such an important issue in terms of it appears that there are times in one's life when there are people in one's life, and there are other times, probably often when you most need them, that they seem not to be there. And so I, I think you raise such an important point. And also your perception of that sometimes the help, when you call somewhere for help, it doesn't seem to be as much as you were hoping for or as long-term as you were hoping for. And so I'm going to ask some of our other speakers to address it, but you are... We definitely want to acknowledge that what you're experiencing is, is something that many people feel, and um, and I appreciate you're getting a voice to it. Actually, um, uh, Ms. Rubin, would you want to comment further?
5: Yes, I mean, it is a big challenge, especially for people who have these long-term needs and, uh, and something that we struggle with um, in, you know, places like here at Cancer Care where we are limited in how much time we can offer support to people. Um, but I do know, Elise, and thank you for asking your question. It's great to hear your voice. Um, uh, and uh, and I know you are tenacious, as, as uh, uh, Dr. Palos uh, uh, could hear in your voice, that um, that asking for help and continuing to do so and trying to find resources out there is so important. And one of the ways I think that um, that is another another option is not only trying to find the support from from professional organizations like Cancer Care, but from um, from other survivors and caregivers such as yourself through organizations such as Immerman Angels, where you might be able to connect with another long-term caregiver, and where your husband might be able to connect with uh, with a survivor. So that might be an organization organization for you to look into, and I can certainly contact you offline about that, that organization in particular because um, that might be a way not only for you to receive support from someone else who's been a long-term caregiver, but also for you to give back to others. Um, in all of the experience that you've had being a long-term caregiver, something that you can uh, receive is by giving to others and giving suggestions and advice to others. So that might be a way for you to connect with others and something that can help you, um, uh, you know, as you're as you're continuing with this long-term care. So thank you so much for your question and for connecting with us.
1: Um, and Dr. Fleischman, would you like to add? A, um... Well, I, uh, to add, just add something to that.
4: I've, patients and families have taught me quite a bit over the years, and I've seen people get extraordinarily creative, um, reaching out to local universities. Uh, especially in uh, smaller towns that are university uh, towns. uh, There are students who often feel a need to volunteer and love to volunteer and feel connected to a place that they've just moved to. Um, Any local nursing school will often have people that volunteer, not to be a professional nurse, but to just give some some respite volunteer help. I've also um, heard of patients and families reaching out to local service organizations. Um, like Rotary and Lions and uh, many, many more that are out there because uh, often there are early retirees who are eager to do something creative and helpful. Excellent.
1: Thank you. And Dr. Northhaus?
2: Well, I think uh, my uh, colleagues on the panel have given some very good ideas. Uh, the only other one that comes to mind is perhaps participating in some of the online support groups that uh, you have at Cancer Care or other organizations may have. I know that doesn't deal with the issue of somebody physically present to help you, but it is very difficult, and perhaps by being involved in a some kind of a support group, um, you may hear some really good ideas from other people who are in your same situation or together Uh, those of you who are participating may come up with some ideas. And I do agree um, with one of my colleagues on the call that you have a lot to offer. And so even though that might not seem to be the first resource you might go to, I would really encourage you to consider um, providing uh, feedback to others, and then hopefully they will have some to give to you as well.
1: Thank you all and, and, and thank you Elise. Um, and we actually, uh, Chrissy will be calling you after the call as well as myself to, to see if we can't offer some additional um, support and help. And also for everybody on the call, um, because this is an important issue, um, we are um, on this program collaborating with many other organizations as we often do. It's in all of your materials and those are also resources for you um, to, to have as well. Um, and of course, your incredible persistence, it sounds like, and just um, self-will in terms of trying to find the, the right um, help is so important. So thank you very much for that, uh, for your comments and, and for your, um, your questions, Elise. Now, we have a question from one of our online participants, and that is that um, I have panic attacks and extreme anxiety. What are some ways to deal with this? I haven't slept well in months. Dr. Fleischman, could you take that on first?
4: that's a hard one to do over the telephone just as general information of uh, feeling feeling panicky um, is very common when you're called to, on to do things that you may not be trained to or don't feel you're able to um, if it's anything m- more than that i think it's really important to make a visit to your primary care provider explain what's going on there are sometimes other illnesses that can mimic uh, panic attacks and uh, although Feeling panicky would be extremely reasonable. When being a caregiver, you don't want to jump to the wrong conclusion. So that that may need attention, but uh, feeling like that is pretty expectable.
2: Sounds like you, and Dr. Northhouse. Oh, I agree um, that uh, this is, it's not uncommon. Actually, I remember reading a research study recently that talked about uh, you know panic attacks were were uh, you know common among caregivers. I don't know how common, but they're co- they're reasonably common. But um, I think it's important to consider uh, seeing someone for help, a counselor, to try to understand what might be the trigger for you uh, with the anxiety that you're experiencing. Maybe they're, in talking it out with someone else, you may get just some sense about what the trigger is and then be able to work um, problem-solve on how you might deal with that to, or prevent it from occurring. But I just want to also point out, um, as I was thinking about this in response to your question, that there's also some research that says caregivers who may have some worries and concerns or panic attacks are less likely to go seek mental health care. Again, this whole issue, they don't want to take time away for themselves, um, whereas the survivors would be more likely to go get help. So I just want to stress the importance of, um, for you seeking help to deal with this issue, it may be very, must be, I would say, a very uncomfortable situation to be in. I I really believe that if uh, you seek out a confidant or a support person, especially a professional support person, you may be able to work through this one and feel a little bit more comfortable. And our next question, Stephanie?
0: Our next question comes from Melina P. Your line is open. Hello. Hello. Hi, Melina. You're Hi. Or I am. I'm
7: caring for uh, my mother who has a stage four metastatic breast cancer, and um, she just moved in with me since she's a widow, um, and I'm her own, I'm her primary caregiver, and I'm just having a very difficult time um, seeing her um, deal with the symptoms. Um, she's having a lot of um, reactions to the chemo and the drugs, and she's um, found a support group for herself. And um, but where I live, there aren't um, support groups for caregivers. I am seeing a therapist, which is good, and I have a good support system. But just your the question? day,
1: then your question for us?
7: Just the day to day of um, handling, seeing her dealing with the symptoms is hard. And I I don't know if there's anything that I can do.
1: Um... Okay, that's an excellent question, and I think we're going to kind of give you some general tips here, and then hopefully um, and follow up with you as well after the call. Um, uh, Doctor um, Doctor Palos, would you like to start in terms of addressing this um, important issue here?
3: I can certainly hear the distress in your voice uh, about what you were just um, sharing with us. So one of, the, for the day to day, it is hard to just you know watch someone that you love so much and was so strong at one point um, to to go through all that distress, the physical and the emotional distress that your mom must be feeling. But one of the things that that may be helpful, and I, I found was helpful, was just to kind of keep a journal. I would, when the times that I would get the most distressed, and I would do the things that I needed to do, I would just kind of go hide myself in my room or someplace outside and just take a journal and just write write about my feelings, write about my thoughts. Right about what I could do if I had the magic wand, and that's that would help me feel better about you know about um, seeing that. There's, it, it's very frustrating. I think that's the other thing. It's very frustrating when you see someone that you love so much um, having that kind of hurt. It's good that you're seeing the therapist, and I would you know really recommend that you keep up with that and, and talk to. Uh, talk to them and tell them specifically that it's the day-to-day. The other thing that helped a lot is I had a friend that I could just call and just ramble and just say, this is how I'm feeling today. And she would listen. She didn't always give advice, but she would listen, and then she would you know, say, okay, you know, do you feel better? And, and I would feel better, and that made a difference. So things like that, you know, that, that might be helpful to you. Um, and, and I'm sure, again, you know, you're doing the, the, the right thing by seeking out the professional help. That always makes a difference also.
1: Chrissy, could you comment on our online groups here at Cancer Care?
3: Absolutely yes. You mentioned
5: that there aren't support groups for you in your area, and it, it, I would definitely encourage you to take a look at our website, cancercare.org, and uh, and we do have caregiver support groups online through our uh, through our website, um, and they're all moderated by by our licensed oncology social workers. So I would highly encourage you to do that. And we also have short-term telephone counseling, individual telephone counseling, and that might be a way um, to help support and supplement the therapy that you have, it would just be short-term, and it would specifically be able to address some of your concerns in helping you manage um, your, mom's, uh, your mom's illness and, and some of the difficulties it is to, to watch her go through the symptoms that she's struggling with. So I would encourage you to take a look at our website or call our 800 number uh, to, to enlist some of our supports as, as well
1: question from one of our online participants uh, from Victor. With multitasking and facing the demands that I have on a personal level, as well as being a family caregiver, I sometimes feel increasingly isolated in that it is easy to put off friends. Is this isolation normal? Um, and Dr. Palos, could you address that?
3: I think it's very normal, and it goes back again to what all of our speakers have been addressing. Some of that is that guilt. We don't want to leave that loved one alone. Some of it is, you know, we just feel maybe that, oh, no one can take care of this person the way I can, so I need to be there all of the time. So that isolation is, I believe, very, very real, and that's that's a warning sign or a trigger that says, okay, if I'm feeling this isolated, maybe there's something I need to do about this, or so not even a maybe, I need to do something about this. And, again, you've heard about our wonderful resources we have through cancer um, care with the online support. Uh, You've heard of some other different ways that you can also um, do some things uh, for self-management like the journaling and things like that. So um, I think, again, the acknowledgement that, yes, isolation is something that occurs and, yes, I need to do something about this, and then actually trying to do something about it is going to be um, some ways that you can start addressing some of this isolation that you're feeling.
1: Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You have been extraordinarily outstanding, and I want to thank all of you who have asked really such great, great questions, both on the telephone and online, very poignant questions. We can hear in your voices um, the challenges that you face, and we um, really would like to be able to offer more services to each of you, and we hope you'll take advantage of the services at Cancer Care as well. Now, we are about to conclude. We haven't concluded yet, and I do want to remind everyone that this is a one-hour education workshop and that in planning a program like this, we do recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond a one-hour program. And so I do want to bring you back to all the services that you can access from Cancer Care. Cancer Care has a staff of 35 master's-level trained oncology social workers, and we're here to provide a host of services to you, from practical and financial assistance to counseling, which means a social worker to talk to about your concerns. We have support groups on the telephone online, We also offer these type of workshops, and we also have materials that are sometimes helpful to people as well. But most importantly, we'd like you to see us as a a service for you, a place that you can call for free help. And if we don't have it, our goal is to then connect you up to the places that can help you with those services. And um, I think that um, we could actually go on with this particular call for many hours. Um, Your comments and questions indicate us just the great need that you all have. Please do take advantage of the service of cancer care. Call us at 1-800-813-HOPE. And most importantly now, as we're about to conclude, I don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping as a caregiver or in coping with cancer. I want you to know that you're part of a community of support that cares about you, and please do contact us, and we
0: are there for you. Thank you all, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect, and have a wonderful day.